I believe God has a word for his people today. There is a word from the Lord in the house today. Let's turn in the scriptures together. Who can rejoice in the Lord today for the faithfulness of God, all of the things that he's poured out on your life? The Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Can we rejoice in the faithfulness of God? Because he's held true to the foundations of his word, and he would bless you in every season of your life. Somebody ought to praise him. I'm going to need some help preaching today. Is that all right? So take your Bibles and turn with me to the narrative that we will explore in Exodus chapter 13 and 14. Some of you are saying, whoo, are we going to cover those two chapters? They're long. Yes, we are. But here we are in this series today. We're closing out this series called Moments, where we're looking at these divine moments in Scripture where God collided with these individuals. And because of this collision and how they how they reacted to this collision. We see how the trajectory of their lives was changed forever. And the reason why we're doing this series is to analyze how God impacted their lives in that divine moment so that we can see how God has impacted our lives over the course of our lives in hopes that we have been changed by what he did that moment. So over the last several weeks, we've looked at the moment of sacrifice for Elisha, we've looked at the moment of encouragement for Elijah, we've looked at the moment of suffering and redemption for Paul, how that redemption story in the Apostle Paul's life has ultimately impacted our lives. We looked last week at how Christ called the moment that he called Matthew to follow him. We also looked at the moment that Jesus healed the two blind dudes who were following him. But today we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to talk about a moment for a nation that ultimately turned into celebration. It was, it was that moment that was supposed to look like victory, but yet victory showed up in the form of stress. And how many of you know when stress comes into your life, you can expect certain things, but the things that you expected tend to happen in an unexpected way. Let me say it this way. It's not the battles that we expect that tend to do us in. It's the unexpected battles. So today we're going to look at a narrative of scripture that I believe will highlight a process that we should live by when it comes to our spiritual journey. It's a passage of scripture that is somewhat familiar if you grew up in church, but we're going to look at it from a fresh perspective because in this passage of scripture, you have the Israelites who have just suffered the scorn of slavery for 400 years who have now been released by the Pharaoh to go into freedom because God poured out all of these plagues on the nation of Egypt. And so they're walking from their failure into their victory. They're walking from fear into their faith. They're walking from their problem into the promise. And, and Moses is leading them into the promise, if you will, into the victory. But on their route to the victory, stress begins to occupy their spirits. And the problem that they have is the 400 years of baggage that they're carrying with them out of Egypt into Israel. And because of the baggage, there are some things that kind of catch them off guard, even though they're expecting freedom. 
some unexpected things happen. Let me read part of the narrative with you this morning. Beginning in verse 17 of chapter 13. Everybody say amen. Here's what it says. It says, stay on your feet just for another moment. I'll let you be seated in just a second. It says, when the Pharaoh let the people go, when the Pharaoh let the people go, look at your neighbor and say, God delivers. It's what happens next in this verse that is very intriguing and complex. It says, God did not lead them. Circle God and then circle lead. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Hold on a second. God did not lead them on the shorter route. Look at your neighbor and announce to them the subject matter of our conversation. Celebrate the long road. Mm. Say it again. Celebrate the long road. Roxanne, it just doesn't make sense after 400 years of slavery, now that freedom is for you, that you would have to go the long route. Why wouldn't you be able to go the easy route if you're going into freedom after 400 years of atrocities? It just seems like God would take you on the short route. How many of you wish that God would take you on the short route? How many of you don't feel like right now you're on the short route? Are you with me? Some of you want that suddenly route. Some of you want all of the angels of heaven to descend upon you so that the miraculous happens suddenly. And suddenly God healed you and suddenly God set you free and suddenly the walls of Jericho fell down and suddenly the woman with the issue of blood was healed and suddenly Paul's eyesight was restored that suddenly that shorter distance between two points that suddenly will preach somebody give God praise for the suddenly in your life But Bob, the problem is, if you research scripture, more times than not, God does not use the shorter route, but he uses the longer route. But when God takes you on whatever journey that he takes you on, he always has a plan. Look at the rest of verse 17. It says he did not take them on the shorter route, though it was, he did not take them on the, through the Philistine country, though it was the shorter route. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Hold on a second. How many of you are glad that God recognizes your physical, your spiritual, and your emotional limitations? Hmm, that'll preach. Verse 18, it says, so God led, everybody say God led. Circle that. God led. God led. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Verse 19 and following says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. We did a series not too long ago called Bones. We looked at, at, at the bones of Joseph. He took them with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Faharath. Between Migdal and the sea, 
They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Baal Zephon. Watch this. The Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion. Everybody say confusion. Hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden the Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through the Pharaoh and all of his army. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Hold on a second. Just be seated. Just be seated. Keep playing, Richard. There is this paradigm of confusion in this passage of Scripture. I need you to grab this. Because God is alluding to the confusion of the Egyptian army based upon the apparent seeming confusion of the Israelite people because they're wandering around the desert. And then Jason, Moses alludes to the confusion of the Israelite people because he says, and God did not take us on the shorter route. Doesn't it make sense for God to take us on the shorter route if we've just left slavery and we've had 400 years of hellacious experiences? Doesn't it make sense for us to go on the shorter route, but instead he takes us on the longer route? There is just this context of confusion. But the more that I study this passage of Scripture, I see how our faith journey can relate to the confusion that's present in this story. After all, how many of you in this place could honestly say, I have never had any confusion in my faith? If you can raise your hand for that, you polish your halo while I preach to the rest of us. Because the Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. So Moses is painting a picture of confusion because the people, Paul, are walking to victory. They're walking to what this experience should be easy because they're leaving slavery and walking to freedom. But yet stress tends to occupy everything within their spirits because why? They're not on the shorter route but the longer route. So this week I did some research on stress. I want to share with you some statistics. How many of you in this place would say that this week you experienced some form of stress? Raise your hand. How many people in this place would say that I did not experience any stress this week? Well, none of us. Why? Because according to this Gallup poll, it says... It says this, it says 72% stress over money. 85%, 85% of the people deal with some form of stress weekly. Over 60% of our nation lives with stress daily. Wow. It goes on to say this, it says... 67% of the people in our country stress over the economy, 60% stress over work, 58% stress over relationships, 48% stress over family, 46% stress over health. But then there was this one thing that jumped out at me. Almost 60% say they are stressed out because they don't have enough time to do what they need to do. And God takes the longer route. Hold on a second. Almost 60% of the people who were in this poll say that they're stressed out 
over not having enough time. You see, there is a great point of confusion in our lives today, and it comes as the result of the struggle that we have with the timetable of life. If things seem to take longer than we're comfortable with, if they take longer than suddenly, all of a sudden we're stressed out. I mean, think about it. If you go on a 10-hour road trip with your kids, you put your kids in the car, you're 20 minutes into the journey, what's the first question they ask? How much longer? It doesn't stop when we become adults. How long till dinner? How much longer do I have to put up with this problem? How much longer before I receive this promotion? How much longer before this breakthrough? How much longer before my spouse appreciates me? And if it goes beyond the time span of suddenly, we're frustrated in our spirits because we're stressed out. We want the shortcut. We, 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 want, we want the Cliff Notes version. But if you look at Scripture, you will see that many of the blessings take an incubation period. And it's during the journey that God causes that blessing to incubate so that when you get there, you'll recognize recognize it as a blessing. Mm, let, let me say it this way. The realization of blessing in your life, many times it comes because of your ability to persevere on the longer road. Ooh. Wow. Think about it. You see things, Richard. Think about it. You see on TV the marriage that you want to have. I want to have that marriage. The problem is with the TV is that they don't show you the work that it took to get there. And we want to have things so quick. But Moses is telling us in a roundabout way that there are blessings in our lives that if we were to try to take a shortcut to get to the blessing, the blessing would not be ready when we got there. Because there are things that God is trying to do in your spirit to prepare you for what he's prepared for you. So think about this with me for a minute. You see, this isn't easy to preach because we all want the suddenly. But could it be that it's the journey that God has us on that gives us the ability to recognize the blessing when we get there? Could it be? How many of you know that sometimes a blessing can be heavy? How many of you know that sometimes a blessing it, it can, can feel like a burden? How many of you in here are parents? That's a blessing. But sometimes it can feel like a burden, hello? I'm just keeping it real. Let me illustrate that for you. Our youngest, is his, his name is Jacob. I'm sure everybody in here knows him. He's 15 years old, but I remember the day that Kim called me and said, you need to come home, and she was crying. And when I get home, she says, I'm pregnant. Some of you are like, oh, that's great, that's great. Well, not for us. That was not the, that was not the route we had chosen. I'm trying to say in, in a very polite way that he was a surprise. And so she's crying, and she's crying, and she's crying, and for nine months, she cries. I'm just being honest. For nine months, she cries. Then Jacob is born, and he comes out, and he's crying. And for 10 months, he cries. No joke. For 10 straight months, I kept telling Kim that he's crying. He's trying to get you back for the nine months that you cried. 
But the doctors called it the worst case of colic that they had ever seen. For 10 months, he never slept for more than 45 minutes at a time. Our friends all left us because they couldn't hang out with us. He never slept, we never slept for more than an hour and a half to two hours every night. For 10 months! At the 10th month, I'm leaving to go to work that morning. Kim's in the kitchen. She's holding him. He's crying. She's crying. I turn around at the door, and I open up the door, and I look back at her, and I said, You call the Cumberland County Adoption Agency today! I'm looking like a great father here, I know. But I'm serious. I mean, we just put up with it. We just couldn't stand it anymore, you know. So I come home from work that night about 8 o'clock. And when I walk into the house, there's not a sound. Kim's in the kitchen. I said, I hadn't been greeted in 19 months without some crying. What's going on? Where's Jacob? She said, he's in the, in the den, and he hasn't cried since 3 o'clock. What? It was at that moment that I realized how much of a blessing he was. Hold on a second. Let me, let me say, put it this way. You cannot experience the blessing without sometimes having to endure the battle. You can't win the war if you're not willing to fight. <laughs> you see, you can't experience the promise if you're not willing to go through and endure the problem that precedes the promise. Sometimes you can't be the king if you haven't been practicing with your slingshot as a shepherd. What I am trying to say is God will use that journey that you're on to prepare you for what he has for you. And it is your ability to persevere and chase that dream with your heart that ultimately causes God's word to come to life in you. So God took them on the longer route. That's intriguing to me. There's three things that really jump out in verses 17 and 18 to me. Three things. Three things that jump out. Number one, God took them not on the shorter route, but the longer route. Number two, they were not ready for battle. But number three, they were dressed for battle. Hold on a second. They, they were, God took them on the longer route. They were not ready for battle, but yet they were dressed for battle you see sometimes the command of god is tough to recognize it is tough to live out but something that i've always noticed about the plan of god is that god's plan always comes with a way out god's plan always comes with a way out of what you're walking into. God's plan always, think about this with me for a moment. Here is God taking them on the longer route when they wish they were on the shorter route because they're leaving slavery, going into freedom, but yet they're on the longer route. Hold on a second, time out with me for a minute. You see, some of you are on the longer route of recovery when it comes to your finances, and you are uncomfortable with that because it's taking too long. But yet, recovery will come nonetheless, because what you need to remember is that 17 and 18 said two different times that God leads. God leads. God leads. Look at your neighbor and say, God leads. What I'm trying to say to you is that recovery will come nonetheless, but God is not concerned with the comfort level in your life. God is concerned with whether or not you make it to your destiny. 
Why? Because the Bible says that he knows the end from the beginning. That does not mean that God knows the starting of something and the ending of something. That means that if God started something, he's already written the conclusion of something. That just means that God knows the right road for you to be on. That just means that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That just means if you started that route, God has already provided a way out. Somebody help me preach up in this place. So, the context of confusion seems to offer a conflict for me. Because the people are dressed for battle, but they're not ready for battle. Let me give you the historical context behind that. You see, the route that was shortest between Egypt and Canaan was a route called the Via Maurice. The Via Maurice was called the Way by the Sea. If you were to go from Egypt to Canaan, you would always go the Via Maurice, the way by the sea. The problem with the Via Maurice is that it was lined, if you will, every so many miles with the Egyptian army. The outpost of the Egyptian army was all along, if you will, this route. So here is what's strange. Had God taken them on the shortest route, dressed for battle, they would have had to have faced battle. They would have suffered being ambushed and probably killed. The point that I'm trying to make is that God was saying to them, they are not ready. Sometimes you have a fight before you can have a victory. Sometimes you have to go through the war before you can have the win. But they were not ready. Look at your neighbor and say, not ready. They were not ready. Look at your other neighbor and say, they were not ready. They were not ready. They were not ready for the war that was ahead of them. Therefore, they were not yet ready for the win that God had for them. What you're missing here, what you're not catching is that sometimes we have to be ready for the battle that precedes the blessing. We're so focused on the blessing that we don't realize that we have to go through the battle in order to get there. Oh, hold on a second, because some of you are praying, God, increase my territory. That's a good prayer to pray. God, increase my territory. God, bless my lying down and my rising up. Bless me in the city and in the field. Bless my coming in and my going out. And that's an okay prayer. But can I tell you something? If God answers that prayer and he increases your territory, the only thing that he has done is increase your responsibility. The only thing that he has done is increase the taxes that you're going to pay. The only thing that he has done is increase the things that you're going to maintain, increase the things that you have to manage. Therefore, maybe we need to change our prayer and say, God, prepare me for the battle that precedes the blessing so that I'll be ready for the blessing when I get there so that I'll be ready for the blessing so that I can recognize it. Because think about this. Here are the Israelites, 400 years enslaved, told what to do, told who they can worship. Therefore, the consistency of their lives had taken up residence in their plight. Their expectations were based upon their experiences. They could not understand why in the world are we on the longer route when we should be on the shorter route. The problem was in their spirits. They were dressed as warriors, but yet they were still slaves. That a preach. Let me show you something else. Look with me. Verse 5 of chapter 14. Watch this. So when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds and said, what have we done? They just lost their whole labor force. We've let the Israelites go. We've lost their services. 
So he had his chariot made ready, and he took his army with them. He took 600 of his best chariots, along with all of the other chariots of Egypt, with officers all over them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all of the Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites, overtook them as they camped by the sea near Phiharath opposite of Baal Zephon. As the Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out into Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than it would to die in the desert. Hold on a second. God took us on the longer road. These people had been enslaved for 400 years. They had no idea that the Via Maurice was outpost after outpost of the Egyptian army. Now they're thinking that God has had them leading them around the desert into this trap. You know, something that kind of hit my spirit when I read this passage of Scripture is this, this thought that many times the disappointment in our lives is a direct result of unrealistic expectations that we have established. You see, many of you, you want a great marriage. You want your marriage to get better and better and better the way it did when you were dating. The problem is you quit doing what you did when you were dating that caused you to fall in love. <laughs> unrealistic expectations. Some of you, you might want children. Your expectations are way up here. But then you have a child that's born and he cries for 10 months. And then he turns into a teenager. And then it's battle after battle after battle. You see, if you're not amening on that, then you haven't had a teenager. Unrealistic expectations. You see, what God was doing was preparing their spirits because their spirits were not ready to go into the freedom yet. Their spirits were not ready to walk into the promise yet. So God was using the longer journey to prepare their spirits because if they were going to go to a place, Roxanne, that they had never been to, they had to collide with God in a way they never had. I think about Jesus. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And he's gathered the, the disciples and their followers, if you will, roughly 500 people that have gathered around just before he ascends into heaven. And he looks at the crowd and he says to them, you're going to do what I have done. But in order for you to do what I have done, you've got to wait on the Holy Spirit to empower you. So I want you to go back to Jerusalem and I want you to wait for 40 days until the Holy Spirit empowers you. I want you to go back that route, if you will, wait in the upper room. So they went back and waited in the upper room. That day the bible says on that day 40 days later that there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind the holy spirit came upon them here's the problem there were only 120 of the 500 left that means that 380 felt like the journey was too long but yet the disciples stayed 
And the disciples, their mindset was changed. Their mindset was rearranged, if you will. They're no longer focused on what was wrong, but rather what is right. They're no longer focused on defeat, but rather victory. They're no longer focused on what was, but what will be. They're no longer focused on the problem, but now they're focused on the promise. They're no longer focused on their fear, but now they're focused on their faith. They're no longer focused on the bad things that happened on the cross, but now they're focused on the third day. There's a resurrection mindset. You see, they had walked with Jesus for three and a half years on that route. Then another 40 days post-resurrection. Now their spirits were ready. They finally realized that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in them. And the Bible says that Peter came out of the upper room that day and he began to preach that day. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 verse 41 that 3,000 people were saved and baptized that day. That day could not have happened the day before. Why? Because it was divinely orchestrated to happen that day. Because Peter's spirit was ready that day. Are you with me? Some of you are not ready for what God has to pour out on you. And if he were to open up heaven on your behalf today, you would miss it because you're not ready for it. Some of you need to realize that he's with you. He's there. He'll provide for you. All you have to do is be ready to go through the battle in order to receive the blessing. That day. But here's what's awesome to me. Even though they were on the longer route, God provided a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Mm. Proof of his imminent goodness, of his presence. You see, you can be on the wrong road or even on the long road, and God is with you. He'll provide for you. He'll give you a cloud by day to keep you cool, a fire by night to keep you warm. It's that kind of grace. It's that kind of grace. It's a kind of grace that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's that kind of grace. Somebody in this place ought to give God 10 seconds of praise for that kind of grace. Come on. Ten. Ten. No, 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 y'all, that was ten. I'm just saying. Here's what's cool. And I don't know who this is for. I just need you to receive this because there are some people in this place that you are dressed as a warrior. You're armed for battle. There are some people in this place who... are not armed for battle. There are some people in this place who you have on your battle gear, but you're wanting to take it off. Maybe it's a mom who you're raising your kids in a godly way, but yet your relationship with your kids seems to be strained. Your kids are angry at you because you won't let them do things that other kids are able to do. And you're like, God, what's the purpose? You're wanting to take your armor off because you've been doing all the things that God said for you to do, but yet you're not seeing the end result. Some of you, you don't even have the armor on, and the reason why you don't have the battle gear on is because you just feel like you don't have enough of what it takes to win. So why even put on the battle gear? Some of you are, it's not that you're not willing to do what God wants you to do, but the problem is 
you're not sure what God wants you to do. What you need to understand is you need to stop looking for the shorter route because God is using the longer journey to prepare you for the destination that he's about to reveal for you. Let me show you something. Verses 13 and following, watch this. So the people are flipping out. Moses, he doesn't really understand it either. He's recording this. He can't figure out why we're on the, on the longer route either. And, and they haven't put it all together yet. And Moses answered the people. He said, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. <laughs> because he'll bring it to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then he says this, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. I really want to stop and offer some comedic relief right there. Because here is Moses telling the people to be still, acting all bold. But then when the people turn their backs, he goes over to the Lord. He cries out. He says, come on, God, what's happening here? And God says, why are you crying out to me? You better run. But what is so cool about that passage, those two or three verses, is that when, when the people of Israel and when Moses cries out, the sound resonates so profoundly in heaven that God hollers back. Mm. Look what happens. Verse 16 and following, he says, raise your staff and stretch your hand towards the sea. The sea will divide the water will roll back and the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Verse 17, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go after them. And I will gain glory through the Pharaoh and all of his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through the Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of the Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Standing in between them and the enemy, the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. Wow. Hang on a second. I wrote something down this morning. I'm going to share this with you. It's not even in your notes. This is free. Are you ready for this? You ready for it? You need to take this down. There are miracles in your life that will go unrealized without your obedience to the longer route. Hold on a second. Grab that. Had they went, had they went the shorter route, they would have missed this miracle. Why? Because God led them to a place that the Red Sea at its greatest width is about 100 miles wide. Had God parted the seas at a place that was 100 miles wide, the Egyptians and all of their chariots would have had time to chase down the Israelites. But instead, he takes them to a place where the neck of the Red Sea, if you will, is narrow enough 
to where the Israelites can get across it, but deep enough to where when the waters go back over the people of Egypt that they'll be deep enough that they'll drown. Mm. The miracle, Paul, couldn't really take place at any other location. And they wondered why they were on the longer route. Good Lord, have mercy. Y'all ain't hearing this. Let me continue to read. I want to show you something. It says, verse 23, the Egyptians pursued them and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and the chariots and the horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back into its place the Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea the water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen the entire army of the Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea not one of them survived verse 29 but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left hold on a second verse 30 starts out it says that day everybody say that day that day, mm, that day, that day couldn't have happened a day earlier. That day was predestined for that day. That day, God had divinely orchestrated a moment, a moment so that a nation would be saved. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. That day, everybody say that day. But there's something that happens after that that I didn't even tell you upstairs. But chapter 15, I, I need you to see this. Chapter 15, so as soon as they cross across on dry ground, it says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. Oh, hold on a second. There's a celebration because that day. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both the horse and the driver has been hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God. Is somebody going to help me preach? I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. They were complaining about the longer route, but now they realize that God was with them all along, so they broke into a celebration. Is somebody going to celebrate a God who has saved you, a God who has delivered you, a God who has set you free can somebody thank God for the moments in your life that now you can celebrate him for it not for those moments you would not have experienced that day everybody in this place get on your feet and give God a praise